Welcome everyone to the 209 Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Luis Urbano, and I hope everyone is having a great day or your day is off to a good start if you're listening to in the morning. I do want to invite everyone to follow the podcast on social media. If you haven't yet, you can find it at the 209 Journey on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also subscribe to the YouTube channel, which you can find if you search for the 209 Journey Podcast. So let's go ahead and get started with episode 27 here on the 209 Journey Podcast. So my special guest tonight is Dahlia Asherina. She was actually a theater and media director who grew up in Sherlock and has done quite a bit of work in the theater space and also a couple of other different projects. She's currently the associate director for Sweeney Todd in Broadway. And in the past, she's been a resident director for The Phantom of the Opera in New York. She's directed a short film called Mix, which we'll be talking about in the podcast, and also other projects, which we'll, of course, as well bring up in our interview here tonight. Welcome to the Tuna and Journey, Dahlia. How's it going? It's so good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining. And I got to give a shout out to your friend, Fran, uh, also a listener of the show for reaching out to the Facebook page and Im- inviting you to be on here. And it's it's awesome. I really appreciate that. Shout out, Fran. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a quite interesting story. It's the first time that we actually have anyone involved in theater here on the podcast. So I'm really excited to hear all about like all the work that you've done and how you got to where you're at now in, in New York, right? You're Is that where you're at right now? Yes, I'm currently in New York, so three hours ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I appreciate it even more because it's Friday night and I, I know being in a big city, there's probably a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm uh, I'm in rehearsal for Sweeney Todd right now and theater is, it's six days a week, so my my day off is Monday, so this is just like a, a work night for me. Oh, okay. Awesome. All, yeah. <laughs> All right. I feel a little better now. Um, so <laughs> I want to talk about how it was for you growing up in Sherlock. I know that like you moved there at a really young age, right? When you were just a year old. So just tell us more about what it was like being in Sherlock and then how you've seen it change over time as like you've like come back. I used to really hate living in Turlock um, when I was a kid. Um, I was always like, why do we live here? It's so small. There's nothing to do. And especially when I was growing up there, there was really nothing to do. Like, I'll go back now and I'm like, there's a bowling alley. Like, there's a (laughs) Target. Like, there's all this stuff that we didn't have. So, like, really we had to like go elsewhere to do anything fun. Like we drive to San Francisco sometimes or like my family would like go to Universal Studios in LA. And I was like, this is what I need to do. Like, this is my passion. Why do we live in Turlock? I wish we lived in LA so I could work in the movies. Like that was like totally how I felt about everything. And uh, I'm very, very grateful that I sort of, I got into theater probably... I auditioned for like three shows when I was a kid and I never made it in. Like I wasn't cast in these shows. And then finally I got cast in something at um, Turlock Youth Performing Arts, which I don't know if they're around anymore, but such a great, great, great um, theater program. And that sort of changed my life in a way that sort of you can sort of trace the steps immediately to where I am now. 
I found a really good friend group with them that I'm still like very close friends with. And I guess to sort of go back, like now when I go back to Turlock, I appreciate it so much. Like living in New York, I'm sort of like, I love that it's so easy there. Like you can just drive around and it's not a big deal. You can just like go to the store and drive home. Like here, everything is kind of a pain. Like (laughs) it's, everything is difficult. Like just going grocery shopping is like your whole day is gone. It's just, you have to walk everywhere and like lug your groceries up four flights of stairs. And like, it's just, it, it it's it's like physically taxing. So when I go to Turlock, I'm like, this is easy. I'm just hopping in my car. <laughs> you're like, there's parking everywhere. There's no traffic. Unless like maybe like you're waiting for the train to pass by because that's that's as much traffic we get. <laughs> that's the most difficult thing. And it's like, forget driving here. Everything is a subway or you're walking or you're paying way too much money for a lift. So it, it's easier. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And plus, I know you were telling me that like during the pandemic, you kind of like came back over here, right? Because of the situation. How was that like for you? I'm just like curious being there with everything going on there. So I was here when it happened. And I remember um, my mom had said, oh, just come home for two weeks. Like, you know, it seems crazy. Just come home for two weeks. And uh, it was scary here. I wasn't here for that long, but like Times Square was empty. Like there was no one in it. And this is like the busiest place in America. Like, I don't know where else is busier than this. <laughs> so it was scary. I mean, you were watching ambulances constantly come down the street. I mean, it's New York. There's sirens all the time, but that was really scary. And so, you know, I came home to Turlock for whatever the amount of time was. And I felt so grateful that I had somewhere to go that I could, that there was space, there was air. I wasn't stuck in a building and I wasn't stuck in a tube, you know, that is the New York City subway filled with people, especially like when you didn't even want to look at other people because you didn't know, like, am I going to get sick? Am I going to die? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, no, I can imagine like how rough it is when you have so many people concentrated in one spot and here it's mm-hmm. like, if you want to be alone anywhere, you, there's plenty of places you can go to and like you'll be far yeah. from everyone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, your passion for theater, how that came about. Uh, like just walk us through like how you got interested in that. So I've kind of been doing this forever. And by this, I mean directing. Like I would have my dad's like camcorder that he only had like a certain amount of tapes on it. So I would just like record over and over these like four or five tapes. And I would like film, I would get my cousins together because I have a million cousins. And we would like, I would like make them do music videos. Like I would like make them do things and like film them. And like, we like recreated all of the Back to the Future movies, like shot for shot on this camcorder with like wigs and like dumb costumes <laughs> that we sort of like put together. My, always after Halloween, like I like beg my mom to take me to Walmart so I could get the like 50% off wigs so we could like make <laughs> like videos. So that's kind of, I've sort of always done this um, in that regard, but I found... I started doing theater um, and like I mentioned with Turlock Youth Performing Arts in like high school. And I just, 
immediately it was like the place where I felt like I could do anything I wanted and I could say anything I wanted. There was sort of like a freedom that I don't, a freedom and agency that I don't think that I felt like I had just, you know, growing up and being a kid and learning about yourself. And, you know, I'm half Assyrian, like my Assyrian family is like pretty traditional. And it was a place for me to express myself. Oh, that's that's really interesting that you started off doing that. And like Back to the Future is like one of my all time favorite movies. And I, I'm only like imagining how awesome it'd be to like recreate every single scene and <laughs> have that. <laughs> is that still like around that you like put it on a VHS or DVD or is it? These tapes, I don't know where they are. I wish I could find them because it would be like gold to my soul. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I wish I had these. But it was like, this camera doesn't work anymore. You know, like it's so old. Like uh-huh. everything's like, who knows if the tapes didn't get like chewed up by a dog. Like I... Ooh. I think they don't exist, but they do in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to say this too, but like, it's one of the perks of like this new generation that like, you know, you just pull your phone out, you can record if you want to do those movies and put them up in the cloud. They're going to be there as long as I guess, you know, there's like places to store all the cloud data and, <laughs> and yeah, you're good. <laughs> they, they don't know the struggle <laughs> of having like, four tapes or like one tape sometimes that like I'd have to be like well we have to get rid of this like commercial we made because we're making this movie now so it's just sort of like everything got tossed out yeah no I know the feel I went through that too I had you know the camcorder you're trying to record your videos because I enjoy doing video editing and you know you had to make those tough decisions of like okay I have to cut this out or worst of all when you didn't even realize right that you were cutting off something and then when you look back and you're like oh no what did I just do I just cut off like something I wasn't supposed to cut off or like a family video part of a video (laughs) I I know I've done that and I'm sorry uh but it is what it is (laughs) (laughs) yeah good times good times though uh well I want to talk about um how it was for you to um graduate Sherlock I know you had the dream of going to Southern California and you kind of made it happen, right? You go to UC Irvine to study uh, drama and theater. So just tell me more about like how it was for you, like to go that far, to tell your parents, I'm sure, like I want to go that far away from y'all and how it was for you just being in Irvine and in the theater department. So yes, I went to UC Irvine. It's funny, I went to the orientation like before school started And I stayed there for one night because it was like a one night orientation. And I came home and cried so much. I was like, I can't do this. It's too far. I won't have any of my friends. Like, I can't do this. And my mom was really supportive because she wanted me to stay at home anyway. But she was (laughs) like, you'll enroll in Stan. It's okay. Whatever, whatever. And I don't know what. I'm really proud of myself because I don't know what inside me. And I, I don't know if it was like you know, well, well, I already signed up for this. I can't drop out. What does that mean? You know, I don't know if like that feeling like made me do it or what, but I went to UC Irvine and the first year was so incredibly difficult for me. Like I had known the same people since I was like six or seven in Turlock. Right. And going there and not knowing any of those people, like all of a sudden being like, oh, I'm studying drama now. I'm not just like in the musicals with all my friends. This is like, it felt serious. It felt important. Mm -hmm. And it felt like 
oh, there's actually, I don't know anything about this. Like, I think I know things, but what I know is like YouTube videos of Patti LuPone singing uh, like songs from musicals, you know, like I don't know like the history or like the great plays and and anything about Shakespeare or all these other things. So uh, it felt really, the first year was really tough because I had to sort of accept that I knew nothing, which I think was hard for me um, because I felt like I was like, no, but I've been doing this, but it's not really true. So I finally, like at the end of the first year, like felt like I made friends and I met my best friend who we're still best friends now. But yeah, it was difficult. And once again, I'm really glad that I made it past that first year because after that, I was like, I love this. I'm, uh, this is exactly what I want to be doing. That's why, you know, sometimes you have to go with the the tough decisions, right? And it, it pays off because that's what you love to do. And I mean, I always tell everyone I wanted to do film work before as well. And I knew if I want to do that, you either have to go to LA and your other option is just have a change in careers. And I chose the latter. But, you know, it's like if you really want to do something, sometimes you have to move out because, you know, you can't have everything here locally. So it's it's good. And it's reflected now in all the work that, that you've done. Yeah. And, you know, lucky me, I could go to college and and do this. My mom was like, you have to have another major. Like, you can't just major in theater. And I ended up getting a minor in political science, too, like, just sort of as a backup, because, you know, this industry is is like, there's no guarantee of anything. Like, I've been very, very lucky just sort of after the pandemic and like getting these sort of like, I don't know, they're they're it's it's broadway it's like the top of the business you know so that's not guaranteed it's not easy (laughs) you know so yes doing the hard thing and also being like i i maybe have a backup plan and like all up until the pandemic i've worked jobs that are not theater so i've always done it like on the side i've like had a job and then been like okay but i'm working on this play i'm going to rehearsal at night and I'm glad that you mentioned that, right? Because I think it's important for everyone to know that it's not easy getting to these things and it works for some. And unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't work for others. So it is good to have that back of major in case you're in that spot where you're like, well, I wanted to work out, but you can also have like something that is going to help you generate income while you figure out if it's going to work out or you, or you keep trying, right? You keep trying to like be involved in projects and try to make a name for yourself and, you know, add more to your portfolio. Yes. It's not easy. It's good to have a job. There's no shame in like having a real job. (laughs) I'll just just say that. Like, I feel like people think artists like don't work or, you know, they have a trust fund or something, but like, it's just, you can do it. You just have to work all the time. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of work to it too. I mean, I've known people that are working in all these like professions that aren't the typical ones, right? And they say that there's a lot of overtime work and, you know, you're not getting paid hourly. Sometimes it's just like a salary. So you have to take those overtime hours and there's a lot of pressure under different circumstances. So you do have to deal, right, with a a lot, a lot of things. (laughs) I love that saying. It's like, you know, there's a saying that's... um, do what you love and you'll never work a day of your life. But then there's like the the counter saying that's like, do what you love and you'll never work a day of your life because the field isn't hiring, which I love. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's a good saying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've never heard that one, but I'm glad that you mentioned it too. I think it's uh, it's one I'll, I'll definitely be mentioning to people too. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about um, some of the work you did before I talk about Mixed, because I really want to hear more about that short film you did during a COVID time. So just tell me more about like all the different work that you did uh, directing before uh, 2020. Uh, before 2020, I did a lot of like new plays. Um, that was kind of my way into things was like I would meet with playwrights and say, you've got a play. Let's do a reading. Let's do a workshop. Let's try to put it up somewhere so you can hear it so people can watch it and like it maybe in hopes of getting like a full production of it someday. So I did quite a handful of those kinds of projects which I really loved and I learned a lot about directing and like new plays and like new play development but I was really sort of like it, it's hard because in college I was like directing full productions mm -hmm. and then out in the real world you're sort of like oh I'm starting at zero again it's the same thing with mm -hmm. with coming into a new place and saying oh I don't actually know anything like I'm starting I feel like I'm at the top but I'm actually starting at zero again so that was really good for me. I assistant directed a lot. So I, um, right out of college, I got a job assisting this really wonderful director, Shashir, um, at Cornerstone Theater in LA through one of my professors there. And uh, that sort of really set me up. I mean, he moved to like a, a like center theater group in LA, which is like a big regional house. And and if any of these words you're like, I don't know what you're saying, I can explain too. So um, <laughs> I'm I'm like speaking theater. So I'm just being conscious of that. Uh, so we moved to that theater with him. And so all of a sudden I had like a regional theater credit, which sort of people look at that and say, oh, you can do this or this is meaningful in a certain way. And then I got a directing fellowship at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C., so I ended up moving from LA to there and talk about another culture shock. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> like that was, I thought like freshman year of college was hard. That was so <laughs> hard. I mean, I, to be honest, I don't love DC. Like it's, it's the city is, it feels cold. Like mm. everyone is there for like business. Mm. Um, and maybe that was just my experience of it, but that I did that for about a year and I assisted four different directors. So that was, I didn't go to grad school. That felt like it was my grad school because it was such like a sort of felt like boot camp or something. Then I moved to New York and I did a lot of new plays and then the pandemic happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what a time to, to be back. Did you like move back like 2020? Is that like the year that you went back, like at the beginning of 2020 or was it like before? Uh, I moved. I moved to New York in 2019, so I was there for, or 2018, I can't remember, one of those years, but I wasn't, I, it was like, you know, I was just getting my feet under me, and then I had to move home, so. Yeah, no, that's rough, yeah, because, I mean, you were coming from having all this experience, and kind of ready to apply it, and get to Broadway, and, you know, experience all that, and then this just kind of gets thrown in, and that kind of leads me to Mixed, because that happened in that year right and you know can you tell us a little bit more about it i was watching like a 
little trailer that was out there and now i want to watch the full video so we'll have to be able to tell us like where we can find it but tell us more about yeah. it yeah uh you you can't quite find it i i actually okay. trying to figure out what to do with it there is the trailer that you can watch and i i have like the film but anyway so that was a project that came out of i i've always so like i said i'm half assyrian and half like white American, I guess. I don't know how to describe that. But I have always sort of felt like, like my cultural background is like, is sort of hard to wrap my head around. I'm sure anyone else that is mixed maybe sort of feels the same way. And I think that's what I sort of learned from doing the project. I was sort of like, oh, a lot of my friends have come from like mixed backgrounds and, and, and not just like Assyrian Americans, but I mean, there's like, African Americans and um Korean Americans and all these people that are uh, have the like parents are two different things and raised in two different cultures and therefore like the culture I was raised in was almost like a third culture you know it was sort of like a mix of those things and I grew up mostly with my Assyrian family so I feel that more than anything because that is sort of like like my nana raised me basically um a lot of the time so uh that's what the project was born out of was like my own feelings about that and like reaching out to others and being like do you feel this way like what are your feelings and it's interesting because we all come from different backgrounds but that experience is the same yeah i'm sure it's the same too because like you said it's like really it's hard to identify yourself right when you have two different parts and you kind of want to identify as both right but in reality sometimes you're more one like you mentioned right because you can't have like equal share right because there's one parent is always going to have more uh than the other and it's, that's just how it's going to be like so yeah and and i think people are so ready to label people and like and classify an experience in so many different ways and I think sometimes people that are mixed are like, oh, well, you're not really that or you don't really feel this or that. Or, you know, I was sort of told that a lot um, growing up was like, sorry, let me be clear. It, there's a lot of people's everyone has an opinion about it. It seems like where if you're if you're from one background, people are like, oh, you're that thing. And you sort of get labeled as one thing, which is not great either. But it's I think it's hard to like rectify like okay, who am I? What are my experiences? I don't really fit in with them and I don't really fit in with them. And that that squiggly line. Yeah, it's it's tough. And I mean, just I, I'm not like equal to I'm like 100% Mexican born here, but uh, uh, we, we go through the same struggles too. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. like we might go to Mexico too. And, you know, they they probably won't like see us as Mexican because they're like, no, you were born over there. And Quite truthfully, yeah, I mean, it's a whole different experience. We're not really the same, even though we might speak the same language. And so it's it's kind of interesting how, like, you know, you move somewhere else, you might have that heritage with you, but now you're not completely a part of them, right? Because you have another culture in you. So even though I'm just like 100%, maybe I'm not truly 100%, right? Because you have the influence of being here and that kind of already puts you into like you said just a whole whole different category too it's almost like a new culture in a sense right that you're creating just being here yeah and and thank you for bringing that up about 
going to Mexico and and having the same sort of feelings because that it it's it feels the same like it's like you you know it's especially like it's your family right so um it's sort of like I'm looking at my family but we're having different experiences we're having different life experiences because of xyz yeah like another example is also um all the dreamers right anyone who wasn't born here and especially those that like they came here when they were like one or two or three maybe up to like i don't know like maybe five years old and all their memories are basically just being here and to have to go through the situation where you might get deported back and feel like where am i going to and go to this country that's supposed to be quote-unquote your country but your home right it's like they're not going to take you as one of theirs, right? With like whatever country that might be, they're going to be like, no, you're not from here. Even though you may have been born here, you're from over there. That's a whole subject in its own too. But, you know, that's another example there on how you might be like, okay, so where am I from then? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, I mean, like you said, that's a whole other, that's like a whole other subject. And like, maybe I think an even more extreme version of what I'm talking about, you know? That's a yeah. situation there, but I want to know a little bit more about this project and like how like you coordinated things. I mean, it was 2020, I'm sure. I mean, everything oh. was through Zoom, right? But how did you get the participants and how did you like organize how the film was going to be laid out? Uh, what a good question. Uh, it was 2020 and everyone was at home and like ready to kind of do something. So that was actually kind of a perk of it. Um all of these people were people that I knew like in pre pandemic times. Uh, and it was one of those things where I had never spoken to them about like being mixed before this. Like I had just sort of known, like I had been like, Oh, I think so-and-so is, you know, this and that or whatever. Uh, and I reached out to them and was like, I'm doing this. Like, do you want to join? You know, I, it, and it was a series of like um, questions that they would like, film them giving the answers to so i ended up getting like hours of like beautiful and like vulnerable sort of answers to these questions that i had asked and all the questions were sort of like uh you know do you feel more aligned with one identity versus the other have people treated you differently like things like this where I was just trying to get people to open up and show that, you know, we're all human, we're all the same. And I almost wish that I could just release or something like the raw footage of everything because mm. no, no like editing or anything would have made, would, could have made that better. Like it was really people like everyone really opened up, which I think I didn't expect in the way that it happened. But then, so anyway, I got all this footage and I'd spent a lot of time being like, how do I put this together? Like, this is all so unique and special and beautiful and everyone is coming and 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 really sharing so much and are being so generous with what they're sharing. So anyway, I had to do the hard job of like editing this down to like 20 minutes or so. And it, I I like how it turned out. I think what it made me realize is that it it should be like a bigger project. Like it almost felt like this was like me dipping my toes into this subject. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it could be it could be a whole series. I'm just like thinking, you know, now that you have like Netflix and all the other streamers where each episode could be on 
different people and their different experiences and the different races, right, that they have. And so that way, anyone who might identify similarly can like listen to what their experience is like and identify with things that they're saying. I'm just kind of like visualizing the whole thing right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. That I mean, I'm totally with you. Like, that's what it felt like. It was sort of like, these little glimpses are enough for like a YouTube video, I guess. But it it felt it felt like it I felt like it deserved more than that. That was my feeling. Yeah. Well, maybe it could be more than that someday, right? <laughs> someday. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? <laughs> the future. I think that more people are maybe more willing to say more than usual. And this is just kind of like me thinking why this might be the case, but maybe they would have said either way. But I feel like in the pandemic, when we were all like closed down, being at home, I think we were a little more self-reflective about just our lives in general that it was more easy to just hop on a call or I guess in their case, record themselves answering all these questions truthfully because you could actually think about things more thoughtfully because you didn't have that many things going on, right? Like you were more able to do that. And that's another thing that I like to say was a positive thing out of all the negativity that happened that year that came out of that, right? I I 100% agree. It was the people took a break and they thought about what was going on and and maybe made changes. Well, hopefully you're able to upload the video somewhere and we could share it. And even if it's just 20 minutes, I think that it would make a big impact. And, you know, social media world right now where people share a lot of interesting things out there and it could make a difference for someone to hear that, hey, there's someone else like you out there that you know, here's their story, they're telling it and maybe even motivate them to also, you know, share their own stories, make their own videos and all that. And, you know, let's let's keep the conversation going on. So we hear everyone. You're right. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to talk offline. Maybe I could help you uh, produce it or something because I, I do video editing work on the side every now and then. So <laughs> we love it. We love it. Yes. Well, now I want to talk about your work after mixed, you know, the pandemic slightly clears out. I know that, you know, now we're still dealing with uh, some variants of COVID and whatnot, but you're able to finally get to Broadway, right? You do some work with Phantom of Opera and Sweeney Todd. So first, l- let's talk about the first thing that came before Sweeney Todd, Phantom. Like, just tell me more about what it was like being their uh, resident director and how the opportunity came about. Um, it's, it, it was and is like one of the greatest like privileges of my life. Like it's, uh, it was very special. It was very difficult. Um, that's not to say it was easy at all. Um, but how lucky am I that I got to be a part of history in that way? How I got the position, uh, to be honest, I don't really know. I, I think my name was on a list. I got recommended for something. I don't know. But they they reached out to me and uh, I, I thought it was spam. I thought it was a fake email. I was like, who's pranking me? <laughs> because I was like done with theater. At, like at the pandemic, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm actually, I'm I'm out. Like it's not going to come back. I, it's just too like volatile. Um, and so I'd gotten really into film and was doing like film production stuff. And uh, anyway... I fan of the opera emailed me and I was like, is this a joke? (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, and so anyway, I called them. I had three interviews. Um, I knew some people that knew some people that whatever said, put in a good word. And I started with them and they had been closed for the pandemic. So I was a part of the like re-rehearsal period of the show, like as it was being put up again. And that was, I mean, that was incredible, but something that's very different than Sweeney now is that, you know, it's been running for 35 years. So Mm -hmm. There's a there's a specific way that it has to go. I was coming on knowing the least out of everyone where it's the kind of job where like you don't really want that to be the case. Like you kind of want to know at least as much as everyone else, um, if not more about how things are run and that sort of thing. So, you know, I it was a little difficult at first and eventually we got there. But, you know, it's. It it was very special, and um, I ha- I know way more about Phantom of the Opera than I will ever use again in my life. <laughs> uh, and it, it's it was great. It was wonderful. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, yeah. to get reached out to, and luckily you didn't like throw that into the spam folder. Be like, no, what? I'm I, get scared. <laughs> I was really, I really was like, is someone is someone pranking me? Like, what is this? <laughs> I'm like, first thing, like, make sure you don't click on any links or like, look at those links. Exactly. (laughs) I know. Exactly. Especially with the pandemic, right? I mean, so many people, you know, maybe like trying to scam more people because they were also indoors. Yeah, I'm sure it was a a disaster. (laughs) And I was so like mentally far away from it. I was in LA, like working on like a, a commercial set. Like it was just so, I was so removed that when I saw it, I was like, what is this? (laughs) Well, I'm glad it was real. I'm glad that, you know, it, it like fructified because it led you back into your passion in theater. And that's why I always say, you know, things happen in life, right? Before you know it, you know, those it's- those surprises. And it was your calling, right? It was literally something that had to come back and be like, hey, you belong over here, not. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does feel that way. It feels that way. And it's interesting because you hear a lot of stories about people giving up and then something happening or like, you you hear this a lot with like famous actors. They'll be like, "Oh, I told myself this is the last audition or whatever, and it'll be the one that makes them into a star or whatever." Um, it's weird. I don't know why that happens, but that happened to me, so I'm grateful. It's just a sign again that like that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you love to do. And I mean, I always say that anytime, no matter what your work is, when others see how passionate you are about whatever it is that you do it stays on people's memories and years go on. And even with me too, I mean, I'll see job openings and I'll be sharing them with friends that I'm like, Hey, this is your thing. You should go and, you know, try and apply here. I know it's a long shot, but go for it. I know you're really good at this. So, you know, it it leaves a mark on, on people and you get recommended. And that's why it's, it's good to network. I always say, you know, make sure you like make those connections, talk to people, connect with them on LinkedIn, share what you're doing and, you know, an opportunity might come around and who knows what, what, where it'll lead you to after that. 100%. I agree. It's so true. I mean, with everything, but especially with artistic fields, it's, it's the most annoying thing in the world and it's who, you know, and (laughs) that everyone says that and I hate it and it's so annoying, but (laughs) it's true, but that makes it feel like you have to you have to know people, you have to have family in the business or you have to have mm. friends or something. But I didn't have anyone like uh, who did I know that 
was doing art like especially if you if you're from the 209 like who do you know (laughs) you know so uh, you know it's it's who you know but you can get to know people like you can meet people and and that will take you somewhere that's my inspirational advice (laughs) for this for this sesh (laughs) those same people i mean right the people who already have the contacts the um the veterans in the industry who come back and like teach in their hometown, like me, perhaps like you might come back to Sherlock to, uh, or is it Carnegie Arts in Sherlock? Oh, yeah. And, you know, maybe come back and like, you know, give an inspirational like presentation or maybe direct the play. I would love play, to or... do that. Set me up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to like, we'll get him on the podcast and we'll like drop your name there. So you can, <laughs> that can happen Perfect. sometime. But yeah, all it takes is that, right? And luckily here in the area, we're starting to get more plays. When the Gallo Center was built, that brought like, a lot more plays, a lot more attention to like, let's go watch, you know, a play in downtown and a lot more performances. And when you have people that are coming from Broadway and other parts of the country, you know, it it really helps, right? Because you form that connection with that person who knows those people. And yeah, like you said, now forget about you knowing those people directly. Now you have this connection with this person that sees a future in you and is willing to put a word out for you or you know, even write a letter of recommendation or like just put a message on your LinkedIn recommending you and it's that goes true. a long way. <laughs> it, it it goes a long, long way. Yes. So you do your work with Phantom. I want to know what it felt like for you to see that first show like being put on that you helped uh, contribute to. How was that like? Um, <laughs> every day I worked on that for maybe the first five or six months I was like is this real like am I here I had to like put on a brave face a lot of the time and I'm at the point where I feel like I can say that because I did the job and it's over or whatever but uh I don't know I just I felt like a kid I still feel like a kid you know it felt amazing to answer your question it felt like unreal I kept being like is this happening am I gonna wake up you know, like, am I going to wake up and I'm going to be in Turlock and I'm going to be like, get me out of here. You know, like, that's what it felt like. I, even now I'll catch myself in the like normalcy of it. And I'll be like, Dahlia, this is happening. Like, this is like, don't take this for granted. That's a big key thing, right? Yeah, Don't take it for yeah. granted and just you keep putting hard work, right? Because that's what led you to where you're at and where you'll continue to be at. So yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Uh, well speaking of the following opportunity and what you're now doing being associate director with uh, Sweeney Todd um, just tell us more about like kind of like what the job entails and like more about Sweeney Todd for anyone who is not familiar with it yeah um Sweeney Todd the demon barber of Fleet Street is a musical by the composer Stephen Sondheim uh, who's one of the greats and it's kind of fun that I got to do, like, if anyone listening to this knows anything about theater, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Stephen Sondheim are, like, the two top, like, musical theater writers and composers. Like, n- and not the only ones, of course, I'm not mentioning a lot, but they sort of, for, like, the 80s, like, the sort of 80s, 90s, like, rock, whatever, musicals, they're sort of the two guys so it's fun that I got to do an Andrew Lloyd Webber and Alice Sondheim. Um, so anyway, what I do on the show is an associate director 
on this kind of production, like basically I'm really trying to learn the show. So like we'll do a rehearsal and, you know, we figure out blocking and I like take notes on all the blocking and I take notes on like props and costumes and like where people enter and this sort of thing. So that when we open the show, the director will leave and I sort of take over as far as like maintaining the show and what's going on. So like I'll rehearse in the understudies and like, I watch the show to make sure that like the artistic integrity is like of of like Broadway level, you know, because like, you know, you do a show for long enough and people it's it's sort of hard to maintain like, you know, mm. the the top level of certain, you know, y- you get it. And it's kind of my job to just make sure that like the choices that are being made when the show is running like are in line with what the original intention of what the director had said of each of the moments. So that job later is sort of like, if you backtrack now, I'm really like, okay, so what is intended in this moment? Like, what is the actor playing? What is the director like, want this moment to be about versus the next moment? Like, are they looking out and then in, you know, like, it's, it's really like detail oriented in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Because like you said, I mean, Broadway is like up there, right? That's the standard. So you're wanting to make yeah. sure that every single thing goes as planned and that nothing, you know, goes the wrong ways, right? Because people pay a lot of money for those things and they have those expectations of like, we want to see this. And I'm sure the people who are like really into the plays know like every little detail that goes behind it too, right? So they're yes. like on on point looking for those things and you don't want to like mess anything yeah. up. <laughs> And, and, you know, these, everyone that, just to be clear, like, everyone that works on these shows, especially this one, are, like, top, top notch. Like, everyone is at the top of their game. So, it's, it's not like I'm coming in and, like, making things, like, so much better. It's more about, like, literal, like, the intentions of each moment. And, and to... And and to make sure that, like, when the covers go on, when the understudies go on, like, that is held throughout, which I think is, is you know, a little nuanced and that sort of thing. But it's versus, like, what a stage manager would do is, like, they might teach the blocking of the show. So they might teach, like, enter stage left, come down to center stage, put your right arm up or whatever. It's my job to know, like, why that's happening. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I was never aware of like all the positions that were in the theater department, but that's interesting that like you have someone also looking at at those like specific details and making sure that they get like executed as planned. Yeah, like like the the quickest acting lesson in the whole world is uh, I'm making this up on the fly, but like actors, every line they say should be said with an intention. And like a lot of the times we call them, we use like a verb to say. So like, for example, we're having this conversation right now and this is lame, but I'm trying to convince you that, you know, I know how to do my job or whatever, whatever we could say in this moment, but like to convince is the verb that I'm using. Like, uh, Another like verb I could use is like, uh, I'm trying to scare you away from the theater industry. Like, what am I saying? What am I doing? That's like coming through to you. So oh, okay, like it could be interpret in like different ways, but you want it to be a certain way so it's not taken the wrong way. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, that's, I'm sorry, that's this is too much. <laughs> it's good. I mean, any of the listeners might might have been confused, so I'm glad that if they were, then now. <laughs> yeah, now, now they're they, extra they confused. But <laughs> <laughs> no, now they understand. I think uh, hopefully, uh, if not, then maybe we could they could reach out to you. <laughs> Yeah, you can reach out to me. I mean, like, it's I'm such a nerd about this, though. Like, I love watching movies. I actually I can't even watch movies without like hearing the actors' lines and being like, "What are they? <laughs> what are they playing here? Like, what's the like? What is the what's the intention of like what they're saying versus like what you know whatever." Anyway, I'm I'm done with this, but uh, that's my job. <laughs> no, I, I I know exactly how you feel about that because. When I was at MJC, I took a class in film and we would literally watch like a new movie every week, like before Galaxy Theaters and Riverbank open. And our professor, every time that the movie was over, she would want us to analyze every single aspect of movies that after taking that class, there, there were so many things that I just looked at movies differently that I hadn't realized like, oh, there's that or pointed out things that. I would point out to people, and luckily it's gotten better because it's been like years since I took that class, but yeah. I, I would just tell people like, no, there's this and there's that. And, you know, things that people might be like, wait, so who cares about that? Right. But it's like, I, no, but you have yeah. to look at the message and or this wasn't a good movie because of this, not because of that. And they're just like, all right, I thought it was good still. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm totally with you. I always find it really admirable. I think everyone who uh, is a part of plays, I mean, I, I've enjoyed them. I've never been a part of one, but, you know, just in classes and reading, you know, different lines and all that sounds really fun to be able to have your own character and like get immersed in that character. But I mean, hats off to everyone who like memorizes so many lines, because uh, to me, that's like a talent to be able to memorize every single thing. And not only that, but also, like you said, in the intent that you're supposed to say those things and the right tone of voice that you're supposed to say them in. I mean, that's a lot. Make sure they get paid really well because that, that's that's <laughs> more work than an eight to five job to like memorize all those things and all that. So uh, going back to the whole thing about art or people thinking that artists, all the glamour and like everything is all great for them. Like they have their life together. Like that's not really the case. Sometimes they work more than we do with our eight to five jobs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. In terms of the future, like what, what are some of your like future plans or like just goals that you want to accomplish um, in the theater world and just professionally? I've been writing this musical for a while. I really want it to be on stage. <laughs> so I'm sort of, that's more like the writing world, which I'm not really that, like that's, I went to school for directing and it's similar, but it's very different. Uh, so I would love to just put up my own work. I think that's where I am in my career. I'd also really love to like get back to film and TV. Cause like I said, I'd quit theater and now I was sort of thrust <laughs> back into it in like the best way possible. But I still am like, wait, I really, I was really enjoying like sets and like film and TV and that sort of thing. So that's where, that's where I'm at. I'm between those two things. I'm like, put up my own theater work, direct, direct a movie. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I'm not too familiar, of course, again, with the theater side of things, but I'm assuming, I mean, there's a lot of elements that might be a little similar to it, right? I mean, of course, you don't have very, the cameras and you don't have all the crew that's like managing all the cameras and getting all that. But it's it's good that it's easy to kind of do like a hybrid thing where you could still do both things and there's still elements of both that you could 
kind of bring to each other, right? Yes, yes. Storytelling is storytelling. You're just using like a different medium. So it is different. I always, I always think that film is so much more technical than than theater because of like cameras and lenses mm-hmm. and all this sort of thing, which I kind of don't know anything about. But uh, yeah, it's all it, it's it all has its own like flavor. Well, hopefully you're able to get your your play like in a theater space. And hey. I, I'm going to say it again. I really hope that it could even potentially be locally at Carnegie Arts or at Gallo Center. And I would love. Yeah. I would love for it to be at Gallo Center. Like I, I want it to be in New York, obviously. But if it, if there was ever any sort of like regional tour or anything, the Gallo would mean a lot to me. I, I've done three shows at the Gallo when I was in high school, and it was sort of the first like big theater. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Maybe that's where it starts, right? You start it there, and then you, you're right. You could make it there, right? It's like start it small and then get there and like show them like this is what I have and I've put it here and luckily you know we're really lucky that the Gallo Center is so amazing and I I mean anytime I go there it's it's just so great to know that we have something like that here locally and that future people who want to be involved in theater now have that avenue as well to like you know be a part of their productions and you know, get your foot in the door and make it to where you're at now. And they have more of those opportunities. And I'm going back to the whole thing on like, hey, us people who grew up in the 90s, we didn't have that many things. But hey, all you future generations, you have yeah. a lot of things now available to you. <laughs> it, I mean, it's true. It's 100% true. One thing before I ask the last thing, um, if you can give any advice to anyone speaking about, you know, as we mentioned, you know, future generations who want to get involved in, uh, theater or even just you know in general with you know film or acting like what advice would you uh, give to them I think I would say that it's really important to like have a point of view and to know the kind of thing that you want to make because you know you can because that's what you get hired for like that's that's why people notice you that's why people so say, oh, they're a little different. Like, what is that? And all that is, is like people authentically being themselves and like bringing themselves to the work that they do. And I don't think I knew this until like later than I wish I knew um, because I was so focused on like, oh, how do I how do I be perfect at this? How do I how do I get my skill up? How do I you know, all these like technical things that are very important too. But I think it all stems from like, who are you? What is the story you want to tell? Like, what makes you different? What makes your point of view like uh, unique and more specific than like the next person? Um, cultivate whatever that is. Like, what do you really care about? And like, do that thing. That's my advice. No, that's really great advice uh, because it's so easy to forget about that and like you said try to focus more on like oh this and that and forget about yourself which is what makes you unique and is really what what's going to make uh people remember you at the end of the day right and that's the art i mean that's what you're making it's coming from you so if you don't know who you are at all if you're just like i uh, i don't know still make art you'll figure it out but Mm -hmm. like that is i feel like that's kind of the next level is like 
this is what I, me specifically, this is what I want to tell. And this is, this is how I see the world. Look, look how I see the world. And then maybe someone connects with that. And like, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Well, one last thing, if anyone wants to connect with you, if, you know, anyone from Gallo Center or (laughs) Carnegie Arts again is listening and (laughs) is trying to find a way to contact you, (laughs) name off, you know, some places that people can find you at. Yeah, well, I have an Instagram, so it's your underscore gal underscore dal. Um, but I also have an email that anyone can reach me at. Which it's just my name, daliaashreena at gmail.com. Either of those things. That's perfect. I have a website, myname.com. Uh, yeah. Reach out. Let's chat. <laughs> I love people from friggin' Turlock. They're the best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you were able to get your .com. I also got mine too. And it feels good, right? Be able to tell people, oh, we just, if you want to contact me, like go on my website, just first, last name, boom, easy. Easy, easy, easy. yeah. Cool. Well, Dahlia, thank you so much for being on here again. I know it's a little later over there in New York. It's, I think it's the first time I'm interviewing anyone who's like three hours in advance here on this podcast. So greatly appreciate that. It's been really like great listening to your story, learning a little bit more about theater. And as I keep mentioning it, I really hope that we get to see you direct the play here locally, even if it's not in Modesto, Sherlock, but Sacramento, Stockton also have really good venues. And it would be really nice to be able to uh, have you directing some stuff over here, even if it's just like a weekend, you're just back home and you just want to like <laughs> do some theater work as you're out here on vacation. I think that's awesome, too. I I would absolutely love that. I hope it happens soon. (laughs) Thank you. It was so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much again to Dahlia for being on the podcast tonight. I learned a lot about theater. I hope y'all learned a lot as well. And to have more places here in the 209 that allow for place to be a part and places like Gallo Center that makes you feel like you are in a big city watching a play is really fantastic and if you haven't had a chance to go to the gallo center for whatever event it is i highly recommend you do so because it's quite awesome to be able to witness any event on there and i hope maybe this year to be able to go to a play myself there and to musical performances because i hear they're really great and i know we have a lot of them so just Go check out their website, see what they have going on, because it's it's quite awesome. And you two might be inspired um, to potentially become a director as well, which is like uh, Dahlia has here. And once again, thank you to Fran for letting me know about Dahlia. And the reason why this interview happened is thanks to him. So if anyone else out there wants to send me a message about anyone else you think I should interview from the 209 who was born here or who grew up here, or moved here as well, then please feel free to send me a message on any of the social media pages and we'll get an interview coordinated. Right now, I'm actually working on scheduling interviews. So it's a good time right now for me to reach out to more guests. So feel free to let me know. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the podcast tonight. I hope you have a good rest of your day and you'll hear me next week here on the 209 Journey Podcast.